0: To you, Teresa. Sorry, I'm short. I'm short. Okay. Good afternoon. My name is Teresa. I'm an alcoholic. you have, I always say, you know, when I introduce her, I always tell her how other-centered she is. Usually when she does piss, get pissed off, when I tell her to pray, but the moment I say to her, I need prayer, and then she goes, oh, okay, okay. If you need it, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm the one that needs the prayer. all right, in that case, we'll do it. Anyway. Uh, oof. I'm like a kid in a candy store, you know. I sit over there. I don't heard Alice yesterday and then Chris, and I'm just sitting there like. And then when it's my turn, I forget that I'm here to participate. <laughs> I'm kind of like, oh, man. <laughs> now i got to do this. I just want to keep listening to them. They just did such an awesome job on explaining the steps. And, um, and then my head starts going just like they were saying. You know, I'm like, I don't got nothing to say. Anyway. Uh, I'm always nervous. I'm uncomfortable. This is awkward. Let me just get all that out. This is my first time, my second time out into the world. And it's just been very difficult. I just have to say that. Um, and we talk about a disease that's centered in our thinking and, and we look for that to change. But even with 33 years, it still happens, you know. But thank God I noticed the difference. And I have these moments where I've been sitting out there going, I'm gonna die. (laughs) Anyway, I have to say that. Maybe all oh, you already went through that phase, but like I've been in my house for three years, like literally, in a bubble. And so people talking to me, i keep my husband like you're gonna die. Um so <laughs> I'm like, God, please remove the fear. There's no way that you would give me this assignment to just have me die and I have to just say that. <laughs> I gotta say that out loud. Okay. I was suddenly I should have did this one before I I went to Founders' Day. That was way too many people. Um and we're talking about defects of character, so there you go, I got a bunch of them. But uh, you know, this, this just kept coming up as that every time I'm listening to anyone share about anything, I ask myself questions. I love how Alice goes, let's consider something. But I'm always asking myself, what is my relationship with this, with this language, with this book, with these steps? Is that still true to me today? Does that apply? Do I have a different understanding of that? Have I expanded on it? What, what comes up when I'm working with others? What seems to be congruent in the conversation? I find that working with others, I, I think about Bill. You know, Bill says, if I don't talk to another drunk, I'm going to get drunk. He doesn't say if I don't get another drunk sober. Because something happens when you're working with someone or speaking with someone, I start seeing me and hearing me. So if I'm talking to someone for, like, I talk to so many people, and if I'm talking to them about the same thing all week, more than likely, I think I need to do that. I've been like, yo, I've been talking about <laughs> inventory for a while. You think you need the right one? But across the board, this has been my experience with the STEPS. I was just thinking about that. I didn't come here, um when I got here, I wasn't like, oh my god, I don't wanna do this, uh, this sounds crazy, I can't, that just, you know, that just, it's happened later in my sobriety, but not in the beginning. And I don't even know if it's because of the WWA, that's what Ralph always said, well whipped ass. I didn't even know my ass was whipped. You know what I mean? I just kinda crawled in here, lost and confused of what was happening in the reality of the world that I had lived in, and I'm now present from my experience, and alcohol abandoned me and left me emotionally retarded with no coping skills, and I knew no other way to live. And then when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, you told me that there was a solution. And I've been all, I just was like, okay. From the moment I came here, I was not in the debate society. I didn't wonder whether what you had to say was true or not. At this point, I got no straws in the game, no chips to draw. I mean, I'm. look, what's the worst that you guys can do for me? Let's just try it and see what happens. It didn't have to make sense. I didn't have to understand it. I think the less I understood what you were talking about, the better off I was. The moment I got into the conversation of, oh, I get it, I thought I was in trouble. It was so foreign that I was just willing to do whatever. And some reason I knew that I had always relied on a power before I came here. I always knew that. And the power was alcohol. I have never been confused about that. And the only power that I've ever known, the one that told me when to get up in the morning, when to go to bed at night, where I was going to live, where I wasn't going to live, if I was in a relationship, if I wasn't, wasn't working anymore, and I was in trouble because I do not know how to live life without another power. That's how I came to you. And you told me you found another one. And that this one didn't rob you of your dignity, of your integrity, of your self-respect. That this one wasn't a puppet master. That it was an infinite power a power that restored you, that actually empowered you as opposed to disempower you. And the alcohol that I had turned my will and my life over to was alcohol. And it gave me the illusion that I was running the show, but I never was. Ever. It determined every area of my life, and it was non-negotiable. And as I do this process and I look at this, I was, I'm telling you, the whole time I've been here, I was like, what? That is called what? That's all I said was, that's a what? I was relieved of the removal of the shame. You know, I learned instantly, I came here full of a lot of shame. And so far, even as we've gotten through the steps, little by little, the shame is removed. See, I came here with shame. I learned shame means something's wrong with me. I am flawed and I'm defective and I'm damaged. There is no solution in shame. If I'm flawed, defective, and damaged, you can't do nothing with me. But somehow these steps begin to shift that perspective to guilt. And guilt means I've done something wrong, therefore there can be a repair. I thought about, my brother used to say, I refer to my nephews a lot. Because I've watched them grow and develop, and I learned how I developed through children. Because I came to emotionally an infant. And I learned that we stopped growing at the age we start drinking. And I was born addicted. And so I came emotionally an infant. So I looked to children to see the normal, healthy process of development. And I remember my brother used to say he was in the military, in the Marine Corps, and whenever he was a particular platoon, whenever they talked down at them and insulted them, they would do poorly. But whenever they spoke well about each other or them, they did better. So how he wanted us to always communicate with our, my nephews was to talk about what's right about them as opposed to what's wrong. And I believe Alcoholics Anonymous has done that for me. It actually talks about what's right about me rather than what's wrong. It's quite interesting. I hear from people who are working on steps in the inventory, oh, I'm a horrible person. That's not what that step tells me. It actually tells me what I'm not. not. It tells me what it looks like when I'm under the lashes of alcoholism and an illness. It is the manifestation of an illness. And that's what it looks like. I've taken care of a lot of people. Those of you who heard me, I've been a caregiver since 2005. And I take care of folks who have cancer, Parkinson's, dementia. That is not who they are. That behavior is not them. It is the illness. I, my sponsor used to say to me, we're getting to your authentic self. That is not who I am. Regardless of what other people told me that I'm trash, I'm nothing, or I told myself, all of those are lies. And how I treat this illness, I heard uncovered, discovered, discard. I need to dismantle and get rid of all these things that are false. That is not who I am. I am a child of God, but I don't know that. I didn't even know I was playing God. Who knew that? I don't remember walking around going, I'm playing God. I don't remember doing that. I like, I think Mickey Bush says it. I don't go into a bar and say, excuse me, bartender, I have low self-esteem and insecurity. Can I have a drink? I never did that. <laughs> I just said, give me a drink. You know what I'm saying? What is going on? But you began to put uh, adjectives or description on things that I otherwise couldn't describe, I just did them. There's this struggle with inventory. It's kind of like, I've heard a lot of people, I'm terrified of the inventory. i got some sponsees and grand sponsees now, I don't want to do it, just stalling. I'm like, believe it or not, the first three columns are not a secret. (laughs) You haven't told everybody in the world about the people you're pissed off at? What are you talking about? Every chance I got, I told somebody what you did to me. (laughs) The secret's in the fourth column. I never asked myself those questions, ever. But if this is the business of really discovering how the root of my troubles is selfish and self-centeredness driven by a hundred forms of fear, I need to gather evidence. That's what I've been doing. I have to gather evidence. I apply everything lately with school, movies, movies, Just because I'm in class, so it helps me to remember, you know, the information. But even in statistics, in all of my classes, the sociology major, in all of my classes we're always talking about a theory, a hypothesis, and then even critical thinking, and now I have to gather data to support it, and even then I leave room for error. And to me that's the 12 steps. I am gathering data. It's not that I turned the baseball bat from you to me. Let's see how have I been playing God. Let's take a look, and you give me a series of things to examine. And when I examine them, I go, I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh my God, I have been playing God. And the question is, is it working? No, nope, actually, it isn't. I mean, <laughs> that's been me all, No, you know what? <laughs> now that you look at it, it's not working. I thought it was working, but the evidence shows it's not working. In particular, I know I'm going into a step. I have to before I go into six and seven, because when I looked at fear, an evil corroding thread that runs through the fabric of the existence of my life. I love Bill. I'm Puerto Rican. We're very descriptive. I'm very visual. To me, I don't have to read in between the lines the way Bill writes. Evil corroding thread that runs through the fabric of the existence of my life. That's like a telenovela. I was like, yo, Bill I'm like, damn <laughs> That sounds intense <laughs> It's corroding I could just visualize it And then I discover in the fear You know, it's so funny how they tell me A God of your own understanding You know, we hear that a lot A God of your own understanding But for me, I realize that the big book begins to give me one Director, employer, principal, is that not like some description of a power? That means I don't even have to figure that out. Now you come into this area and it says infinite. I'm finite. I had to look that up. Infinite is unmeasured, unlimited, and finite is measured and limited. Where's the evidence? I'm looking at it on the paper. And then in the areas of fear, I don't, this character defect thing was trippy. I'm looking at, I find my defects of character when I do inventory. And defects of character is talking about my flaws. This is an ego-smashing process. If I think I have grandiosity and I think my stuff don't stink and I got it going on, no, you got flaws in your makeup. I'm not a bad person. I've self-will run riot, even though I don't think so. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's not rocket science. They used to say, there's not rocket science around here. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, look at it. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I had these fears and I didn't know I'm driven by them. I'm living by them. I'm making decisions about them. My spouse will share with me Because there's a question in there that says, wasn't it because self-reliance failed me? And the only way for me to answer that, I had to write down all the things I've done to manage the fear. And when I got done seeing about all the things, like, I'm afraid of being abandoned, and so what do I do? I leave you before you leave me. I hold you hostage, I let you hold me hostage. I try to, you know what I mean, love you. I try to do this. I try to stay away from you. I cross the T's. I dot the I's. I do all this stuff. And the question is, do you still have fear, Teresa? Yes, I do. It ain't working. I'm finite. Hmm. Let's try something different. We're going to trust and rely on this other power. You know, I didn't struggle with that. You you know why? Because I've been relying on alcohol. Why do I all of a sudden come here and go, I can't rely on nothing? What are you talking about? (laughs) And if there's anybody who has relied completely and utterly on a power gray themselves, or alcoholics and addicts, then anybody else I know. Hmm. And you call these things defects of character. I discovered them in my fourth column. It's not that I'm defective. It's that when I run on self-will, the spiritual malady manifests itself in these areas. And selfish to me is not a horrible thing. What is it that I want? I start discovering I'm a person who's only focusing on what I want. I don't think about anybody. I only think about what I want. Self-centered is I think the world revolves around me. See, I'm immature emotionally. There is a period of time in the child development that they are self-centered. They need to be. They rely on the parent. It's all about me. I scream and cry when you don't answer me. I remember my nephew was like 15, 16 years old. He's like, yeah, mom says it's all about me. I'm like, it is. You're 15, 16. The whole world is only about you right now. That's normal for your age. You're trying to figure out who you are. You got peer pressure. Especially you're a guy. You only think about masturbating and watching sports. You're so confused. You don't know what's happening. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you're all jacked up right now. You know what I'm saying? You gotta figure out what you're gonna be in life, but you're still a kid. You know, there's a lot happening. You're self-centered. What we hope is that you grow out of that. If we do the normal process of development, we will grow out of that. But me, the alcoholic, I stay in that. We're a bunch of little kids. We never grow. We're still playing in kindergarten. So I have to grow up. I didn't know I was still a little kid. I didn't know I was immature, you see what I'm saying? I'm this little girl trapped in this body, thinking I'm a grown woman, but I'm not. I think I'm managing and running life, but I'm not. It wasn't until I saw it on paper, because somehow I just couldn't see it. All this mention, what is that judgment, self-righteousness? I didn't even have that language. Self-righteous? All I know is you're wrong, I'm right. I didn't know it was called self-righteous. I was like, that's interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay. I swear I've done my whole sobriety like that. Oh, maybe it's easier that way. Okay, if you say so. And then through the years, I could see how it comes up. The first time I did my... uh My fifth said, my sponsor wrote them down. I couldn't even put down, you know what I mean? She pulled it from that column and she gave me a list. I was like, okay, whatever. I'm telling you, I didn't go, oh, no, I'm not. I was like, whatever, man. Whatever. I'm self-righteous, I'm arrogant, whatever. Let's do this. It ain't working. Whatever it is that I'm doing is not working. I can't rely on alcohol anymore to allow me to navigate in this world you call earth. This thing you call life. I don't know how to exist without something. And all my life I've reached outside of myself and I've always come up short. I've made other thing powers. I've heard people say I'm powerless over people, places, and things. I don't see that anywhere in our literature. What I am powerless over is my alcoholism that tells me I have power over people, places, and things. And then when I look at this, I go, well, where am I flawed? Where's the flaw in my makeup? Oh, I'm under the illusion and delusion that I'm running things and I'm not. And all I'm doing is I'm harming others in the process. So I've always used this description. Again, I get it out of hanging out and raising my nephews, you know, because they're boys. Right? And I get this. I, I go to movies. I refer to movies. We were talking about Ralph the other day. refers to music. I refer to movies. And I remember the first time I went with them, we go in to see the Avengers. If anybody ever seen the Avengers, they're superheroes. And there's a villain in town. And the superheroes come in, and they come to get the villain. They're going to help the people. Hulk, I would say Hulk loves... Uh, Darius had the Hulk, I kept saying, Hulk gloves, Hulk hands. I used to go to my nephew, no, Hulk gloves, whatever. The Hulk, right? And I told him, I was talking to, uh, Afsi and <laughs> Ali's son, cause he said, I got the Hulk hands. And I'm like, I'm always want to do a lesson. I was like, do you know how he becomes Hulk? <laughs> when he's angry. Anyway. <laughs> and so you got the Hulk, he gets angry, you have the guy with the eyes, I don't know, he like burns people when he takes off his glasses, you got that guy. You got the hammer guy, Thor or something. He's like a big old hammer with long hair and a cape. I don't know, it's very strange, but he got a hammer. One minute you have one the woman, one you go, I don't know, different characters. I see them as the defects of character. Because you see I turn to those to help save me and to survive. I'm not a defective, damaged person. I'm living life trying to figure it out. Whatever way I think I'm playing God, I turn to these tools in order to survive and get through life. I really think I'm getting rid of the villain. Even if I think you're the villain and you're not, it doesn't matter. In my mind, you are. And so I turn to these things to help me with you, just like the Avengers. They come into the town to get rid of the villain. But you know what I noticed? Every time we leave the movie theater, and there's been like, what? I don't know, they have six series of those things or something like that? Every time we leave the movie theater, I say to my nephews, but who's cleaning up the town? (laughs) Maybe it's the (laughs) Al-Anons. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, have you noticed? How many series of that show is there? Every time they get rid of the villain, they tear up the town. They blow up the bridge and the buildings and the car. You don't see that? It's like everything. It's demolished. The whole town is demolished. And they're like, goodbye. See you later. And they leave. I'll be like, yo, put the bridge back. <laughs> you know, that's like that guy in the book. Look, Ma, the wind stopped blowing. No, put the bridge back. <laughs> and so the, the Avengers, they leave. And then they come back when there's a new villain, and the town is back to order, there's the al and they tear it up again and they leave. Nobody in any of that movies has said, yo, why don't you fix the town before you leave? That's how I see defects of character. Because see, they're superheroes, they're not bad people, they really believe that they're helping to get rid of the villain. They're really hoping to put things in order or the world or the earth in order because it's now being damaged and shattered. They have good intentions like I had good intentions. I wasn't a mean person running around wanting to harm people. I didn't do that. I had good intentions. That's why it says even though I mean well. I could be mean, egotistical. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to get through the day, man. Let's try to get through the day. This is the best way I know how to do it until I discover it's not working. The very thing I'm trying to pursue, I'm not getting. As a matter of fact, it's only getting worse and I'm getting less of it. So we're going to try something different. So I look at these things and I go, you know, are they objectionable? I'm like, Are they objectionable to me? Is it something that I just, I don't think is it's not cute? And it's so easy for me to go, I don't like that those things that make me look bad. Oh, that's not cute. Selfish, self-centered? Oh, no. Mm -mm. That's not cute. I don't want to be that. Yes, I don't want to be that. Later, I know it's a very short paragraph in the big book, but, you know, the 12 and 12 kind of he explains a little bit more on defects of character. And I just appreciate how he says it's so easy for me to want to get rid of those things that are glaring, you know, gluttony and all that stuff, but I don't want to look at procrastination. You know, these little subtle things that I want to hold on to. It's the big things that are not cute. It's, I'll say this. I had somebody who came to me with this inventory. I just have to say this. She always she was so mad. Some, she came to me already with the inventory done, and she had that. Gluttony, sloth, whatever those things are. Gluttony, sloth, whatever. And as she was going, I said, you know, I'm sorry, but I feel like I'm watching the movie Seven. <laughs> Anyway, I had to say that. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> That's a movie called Seven. I don't know if y'all seen it here, but it's all those silly, deadly sins or something like that. I'm like, I don't know what we're supposed to do with that. Maybe you gotta find somebody. Anyway, inventory. She was so mad. She had to do inventory over. I just don't know what that means. It, it mentions that in step six. That I'm willing to look at the things that are most glaring, that is distasteful, the things that people don't like, the people that judge me about it, so I can look better. But I really have to be willing to look at the things that are subtle, things that you don't even see, things that I do in the quietness of my own space. What am I doing it for? I'm blocked. You told me when I started this process that I'm blocked from the sunlight of the Spirit. I want to know what that is. I really wanted to know what the sunlight of the Spirit was. And I can't get to it with all this stuff. And so I look at these things. Are they objectionable? I don't think they're cute anymore. Are they working? No, actually, I've just gathered the evidence. They're not working. They're not working. I thought they were. But they isolate me. I stay more afraid, insecure, frustrated, angry bitter, confused, they're not working, I don't want them, you use the term entirely ready, I like that word, entirely, I always tell people, how you think we're supposed to be entirely, entirely is completely, utterly, completely, all of it, how do you suppose I become entirely ready, just because I see it on paper, I don't know about none of y'all, but for some reason, when I get to the defects of character, don't you believe they become more apparent? For some reason, I begin to now really see them. I think that's interesting. Before I visualize it on paper, I go, oh, my goodness, that's not cute. Yes, I'm entirely ready. You know when I become entirely ready? When I keep seeing it. You know what I'm saying? Like now I'm building a conscience. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm selfish. That's so nasty. Oh my God. I start seeing it and I become entirely, I swear. I become, like, okay, I'm done with that. It's not, I really can't be that anymore. I can't do that anymore. And then you take me to seven. And you use the word humble. And humble just means I recognize the flaws in my makeup. That's all it's saying. I just recognize it. That I am limited. I am finite. This was so much I can do and so much I could be on my own. It's not working. And isn't it interesting that I do the list of defects of character. I write down all the things that are objectionable. I say, yes, I'm entirely ready. I don't like these. I am willing. I just need willingness. Don't say never. Just I'm willing to get rid of all of them. Yes, I don't like them. And then you take me to seven and it goes... Take all of me, good and bad. Oh, what happened to the list? It switches me again to not play God. Isn't that something? Because with my list, I was still playing God. It's such a trip how I do that. I determine what's objectionable. I determine what I don't like. I determine what I don't want to be and what I don't want to do. And the next step, it goes, no, 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 Teresa. Remember, you can't run the show. You don't even know what's objectionable. You don't even know what's best for you. That reminds me of I was doing this initiation ceremony. It's a big deal, okay? And I'd stay three days in silence, meditation and silence. And the whole time, I could write, though. And my father says to me, I want you to write down everything you want in life. Everything, everything, everything. You spend the next three days in silence and meditation, and you write down everything you want. Because when we get to the threshold of the ceremony, they're going to ask you, what do you come seeking and what do you want? Oh, my. Three days. I had like five, six pages. I get to the threshold. I got my paper. I'm standing there. My father's next to me, and he snatches the paper from me. I go, but, Daddy, I didn't study it. I don't remember it. I got a lot of good things in there. Give me my list. He goes, no, the only thing you can ask for is God's will for you. What? Three days I spent talking about what I want, and and he goes, and if there's anything you're going to ask for, if there's anything, is good health. Because with good health, you can have everything on that paper. Without that, you have nothing. I spent three days writing down what I think was best for me, what was going to make my life happy, what I need. Isn't that a trip? And just like that, it took the paper for me. No, you don't get to ask that. Because I don't know what's best for me, even though I think I do. And the seven-step prayer goes, Teresa, you really don't. I know you think you do, but you really don't. Because, you see, this newfound power is going to determine when I can use them, when I can't, when they serve, and when they don't. All I have to do is to be ready to give them up, especially when they stand in the way of my usefulness to you, especially when they get in the way of what I need to do my assignments. So I offer myself to thee. I'm offering myself to this power, this newfound power and understanding of power to begin to shape and mold. I just said that in the sex inventory. Shape and mold my future sex life. What are my ideals? And the ideals are not a dating matching thing. It's who do I become? What do I bring to the table? So things have to be removed in order for me to become somebody. And then I begin to watch. You see, I always say, something has happened to Teresa. I, I don't do this to myself. This is not self-help. Cognitive therapy. I don't get to work on, I've heard that I'm working on my defects of character. Maybe it's semantics, I hear you. You understand it the way you understand it. I can't work on my defects of character. If I'm undisciplined, My neutral, my natural position is selfish and self-centered, driven by a hundred forms of fear. I'm delusional because sometimes I can't even see. I can't differentiate the truth from the false. It ain't just in my drinking that I'm playing God and I'm not. That's part of the serenity prayer. I can't see. So therefore, I can't make myself do anything. I have to be conscious, awake, and aware. I have to watch. That's in later and say, you know what I mean? I got to watch. I got to see. Oh, I'm being selfish. Oh, no. You know? Oh, it's not working. Let me stop. Hold on. That's why I get to say, can you give me a minute? Can you give me a minute? In the beginning of my sobriety, you know, I talked to people with index cards. It's amazing how people tell me how I share and they enjoy and understand. And this. I, talk, I spoke to people with index cards because my perception was so skewed. I come from a lot of abuse. And so I always thought I was under the attack. I lived in a state of victim consciousness. And so everything everybody said to me, you were attacking me. And so my sponsor instructed me to say to everybody, can I get back to you on that? And then I would call and say what I thought you said. And then we would really figure out what you actually said. And then I would have a response. I talk about willing to go on any lengths. And I would come back to you and go, <laughs> with regards, <laughs> do you know I even did that at work? I always use that as an example. I called her and I said, my boss just told me that I was stupid, I was an idiot, he should not have hired me, he, should, he don't know why he hired me, he's going to fire me and get rid of me and he's going to tell everybody to never hire me again. That I'm the most ridiculous, incompetent, stupidest person that he's ever had in his office. And she said, can you tell me exactly what he said? If you can remember precisely what he said, did he say all that to you? No. What did he say? He said you were supposed to make 200 copies instead of 100. (laughs) Yo, (laughs) you couldn't have told me I didn't hear what I told her at first. And I literally had to go back to his office and go, with regards to the copies... I recognize that I've overlooked the other hundred. (laughs) In the future, I will be more mindful. Could you imagine? So I'm willing to go to any lengths. I did that for six months talking to everybody. And so God did what God does so that I could see. So I could see, so I can hear, and not live in all that. And as I begin to say, please remove, take away, please remove, doing that prayer, I humbly, please remove, please remove. And then something starts happening. I start seeing myself. There's more steps to do. But I start changing. I start walking differently. Chris mentioned it. After coming, it went into his fifth like this, he came out walking like that. When I did my fifth step with my spouse, I learned about intimacy, being vulnerable. I don't remember going in there going, oh, my God, they're going to know everything about me. I was like, I don't know. Everybody, how many people have done this and they haven't disintegrated? You think I want to give it a try? And I came up going, and it says I swallow big chunks of information about myself. You feel delighted. I don't know where anybody gets this idea. I'm supposed to walk on my fifth lips, tippy-toeing through the two lips. I don't say nothing like that in the book. So find out about sharing my inventory with somebody and looking at my defects of character. I've had some people do it with me. They throw up and I be clapping. They be in there puking. I be like, let us be free. Let us be free. All my sponsors, I do that to them all the time. Let us be free. That's from Amistad. Anyway. <laughs> let us be free. <laughs> they be like, that's not funny. Yes, it is. All these things that I thought were hidden, I've had a lot of people, why do I want to do inventory? Why do I want to tell somebody? Why am I looking at defects of character? Maybe I don't have any. I'm like, do you know only the alcoholic is the only person that doesn't realize that that's how you've been living? and there's no bones in no closet. There's nothing that you're digging up. Who told you that they were buried? I have been a manifestation of all that everywhere I go. I see the world through that. Those are the the glasses that I look through, the lenses that I see, every decision I make, every conversation that I have, every choice that's in front of me is based on all that. We got a new way to live now. I got to be willing to get rid of that. What do I participate in that? My willingness to be rid of it because it no longer serves a purpose. And then I let this newfound power Decide in what way it will be rid of. And every chance I get, whenever it comes up, all I need to do is ask. I need to see it and ask. Let me see my time. I, um, I've utilized these steps as a way of life. They're tools designed for living, they're not homework, they're not assignments. Everybody learns differently. I appreciate those as the educational variety. You know, I've had to let go of my own like, well, bias or something like that, you know. I have, whatever, I think it's bias. I don't know. You know, I look at you and be like, what are you doing? That's not right. No, do Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Whatever. I see, especially since Zoom. I've been on Zoom for 10 years. Only alcoholics all of a sudden get somewhere and they think we discovered it. Oh, my God, we this something new. No, we've been there for 10 years. When many of us were going to live meetings, there was a population of people who were seniors and disabled and lived in remote areas. AA.org has always had a list of, of remote meetings. I had a sponsee who's schizophrenic and barely leave the house. She was doing meetings when it was just chatting. There was no video. You just had meetings chatting. And as a caregiver, I'm living in hospitals and ICUs, and I needed to get to meetings. And so I would go on the Skype. And then Zoom. If I would have known the pandemic and it was gonna blow up, I would have put investment. I would have got stock. I didn't know. I'm mad about that. You know what I'm saying? They blew out uh, Skype. I worked for an outpatient place, and I can do it from home. It was remote. The entire company was only on remote on Zoom. And behind me, I had the screen. Everybody was figuring out their backdrop. I've been having the back screen, you know, green screen and all that. I match my outfit to my background. It's so beautiful. Your house was green yesterday because I got a green shirt. You know, it's was like that. Because <laughs> you only see me from here, <laughs> And each and every time I learn more and more about myself, I I talk to other people, and I've gone in there, and it just has been extraordinary to talk to folks. This is what I got excited about when we all went into Zoom. I don't know what I'm talking about, but this is what came up for me, okay? With all the people that I've been meeting on a regular basis on Zoom, I've been telling them that the book says there are thousands of men and women who have recovered. It almost felt like when they used to mail the book out to everybody. And they say thousands of men and women have recovered. And then the vision for you says, with this book in hand, we don't know if you'll get to find us, but go create the fellowship you crave. And so I would see all these people and I said, there's thousands of men and women who are sober. I'm telling you, for real, it's not just me. I used to see a woman all the way in Alaska. She used to be with her arms closed. Her kids put her on the an igloo. <laughs> and it was just me and her. She'd be like, whatever. <laughs> that lady saved my life. There's tons of people out there. And when the pandemic happened, they got to see all of you. If was anything, I was so excited. That so many of them got to see all of you and had an opportunity to see you because they couldn't get to you. I get emotional about that. That's a big deal for them because <laughs> they couldn't get to you. You know what I mean? I did. I saw you in the rooms, you know. I saw you everywhere where I traveled, but these people, they were at home alone or remote areas or they were very sick and they couldn't get to you. And it was just so nice that now you, it was to me like you came to them and gave them an opportunity to see the beauty of the fellowship of the spirit and Alcoholics Anonymous and that we can heal together, we can grow with one another. Because I learn a lot from you. I learn a lot about my defects of character working with you. My, these are teachers. You got one finger pointing at somebody, you got three pointing back at you. And I remember my sponsor used to tell me, I can't say anything bad about the person. And because everything that I say about you, I'm talking about myself. Oh, I got so tired of doing that. I got so tired of talking bad about myself. After a while, I started looking for good things in you. And I'd be like, mm, your hair is cute. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you, you, you uh, I don't know, um, you seem kind. I mean, I had to find something because I was sick of talking bad about myself. Everyone has been my teacher. See, part of removal of defect of character and becoming entirely ready and becoming humble, this process to me is a learning process. And each and every time that I see them, it gives me like a bad taste in my mouth. The more I become awake and aware And in all these situations, I say that it helps me to grow my spiritual muscles. Everyone becomes my teacher. I remember being in a job, and this lady was so annoying. And I started paying attention to her. And she was me. And I remember I turned to her, and I was like, thank you so much. I want to thank you so much. I've learned so much from you. Because she was showing me my defects of character. I can't see them. And so I start paying attention. And instead of going, oh, she's annoying, I was like, ooh, you know what I mean? Is that me? Oh, wow, that's me. I've been annoying to all of you. Wow, I don't like that. You know? God, please remove this. When I'm in situations that I have to decide somebody's life, and I've been in many of those situations, I stand on the bridge between life and death. I cross people over to the other side. God gives me this assignment to uh, take care of not only sick and suffering in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, but my family members, even my perpetrators, and bring them to the door of death. Watch the grim reaper or the, you know, death come in the room and literally making a decision to turn the machine off or keep it on. Put the, the tube down their throat. They can't speak for themselves, so immediately, you know what I mean, do something for their health or their care. Sit across doctors telling someone that I love their diagnosis and you only got three to six months to live. And most of the people that I'm sitting with, when they get their diagnoses, just like perhaps me as an alcoholic, it takes me a minute to, like, digest that. You know what I'm saying? They listen to it and they don't remember that the doctor just told them they have cancer. But I heard it. And there's decisions that got to be made. And these particular steps have helped me to be useful in that area. for my uncle, for he has three to six months to live, and for me to begin making decisions for him that is going to give him the utmost quality of life for the small amount of time that we're not sure of, I need to get out of self when he's completely engulfed in self. Could you imagine? And my uncle died with 12 years sober, but he was a pain in the ass. And I remember they used to say, oh, that's what happens to people die. No, no. He's been like that his whole life. No. Mm-mm. That's not because he's dying. That's just him. He was in that other program. I used to mess with him. Me. I'm like, oh, you guys only have 11 steps. <laughs> you don't have nine. That's right. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One of my defects of character. I'm <laughs> pointing things out because I swear you need to know what's wrong with you. But to be able to ask, I have to ask and pay attention to what's going on with me. Do I want my uncle to die? Do I want to see him die? Do I want to decide everything in his life about dying? It was so crazy. And what's interesting is I was doing everything going bending over backwards for him. And he was so mean to me. My uncle was one of my biggest verbal abusers my entire life. He would always use that against me and go, you know, you're my beneficiary. I'd be like, you paying the premiums? You know, it was just terrible. And I remember I was late, I set up hospice for my uncle seven times. And every time I was set up, he was like, I don't want to die there. I'll do it somewhere else. And I would do it. I remember I got to the hospital. I was two hours stuck in traffic to pick him up for another hospice. And I got this. He says, I don't want to die there. I want to go to Puerto Rico. Set it up in Puerto Rico. Can you give me a minute? And I went down to the parking lot, and I began inventorying that. What is going on with me? Now what's wrong with him? What's going on with you? What do you want here? What are you looking for? I wanted him to love me. I didn't even know it. I wanted him to love me. That's crazy. And I did everything just for him to love me. That's a trip. Didn't know it. I swear I didn't know it. And I called my sponsor, and I looked at what's my defects of character. I said, God, just please take all of me, good and bad. What will you have me be? What will you have me do? Took a breath. I went back upstairs. This is crazy. I go back upstairs. I tell you, I've watched things happen to me. And I looked at him, and I said, I want my name taken off of everything. I am no longer responsible for you. You're going to die bitter and alone, and it is not my fault. And everybody was like, now he's dying. You want to learn the word no? But I didn't say it because I was trying to prove a point. You see, there's a difference in these steps. I didn't say it because I was playing God and I was going to prove to him that he can't Mistreat me because he's dying. I really did not. It came from within me. After doing that, I'm not responsible for you. And I left. Before I left, though, I told them, the only thing I'm willing to do is when you die, I want them to tell me you have died. I will give them the address where to cremate you. And then they will call me when you're done being cremated. I'll tell them where to send your ashes and you know why they'll get done because you'll be dead and i left my brother was like somebody's done you know <laughs> i didn't leave with bitterness with remorse with guilt with shame i didn't leave with any of that that was not my assignment i was playing god you see that's a trip you figure somebody's dying isn't that interesting and that i should be there that was not my assignment Because throughout the whole process, I was bitter. I was resentful. I was angry. I was trying to prove something. You know what I'm saying? Thank God. God is gentle with me. lets me learn what I need to learn, see what I need to see. Eventually he ended up coming back to California and that's the whole thing. He died after 31 days and he came back and I prayed and whatever. That's a long story. I'm running out of time, but I ended up praying again. It was because this doctor did say to me, what can we do to get your uncle back? to the states. And I said, give me a minute. (laughs) (laughs) And I did ask him a question. I said, what do you do to honor a dying man's wish, but all of their wishes cause you harm? And he said, you still get to say no. And he died 31 days later. When my brother, I had to put him on life support, and the doctor said, you got to think quickly. He can't breathe. He's losing his breath. you got to think fast. I told my brother, is there anything you want to say to your sister? He said, I love you. I said, oh, Tony, I love you too. Stop, stop, stop. He's going to do this. You know what I mean? Stop, stop, stop. And the doctor's looking at me. we got to do he's, he's losing oxygen. I can't go. And let me call my sponsor. Let me get a pen and paper. Let me see what happens. Give me a second. I mean, I had to take a second. You see what I'm saying? That's my brother, my only brother. And he has two boys out of 14 and 10, and he's a single dad. Hold on real quick. And I'm seeing my brothers losing breath. God, please remove my selfishness, my self-seeking, my dishonesty, my fear. What will you have me be? What will you have me do? I had to do that fast. Okay, do it. Man, I was hoping he was going to come off that machine. And every day I pray, God, please make me useful. Remove everything from me. Everything. I am his advocate. I am his ears. I am his eyes. You know what I'm saying? My nephews, is this my assignment? Take everything away so I can hear, so I can see. You be with me. And I had to decide to take my brother off the machines. And people say, oh, I get to. You need to give me a minute. You need to give me a minute. I am present for my experience. And the only tool I have are these 12 steps, you guys. Not even reason. I've been relying on the God of reason for so many years. It's not working. It's not working. I need to rely on these steps for some critical situations in my life. That's why it always, like, I feel bad for some of my sponsees. They're like, I'm going to take a drink. I'm like, the only one who's going to have a drink around here is me. (laughs) If I can't drink, you can't have a drink. Enough. You're upset because you're on vacation and nobody wants to take you with your tour guide. Are you serious right now? And I took a minute and I went in that room and I was able to pick up a pen and paper. And inventory that. I'm not resentful that my brothers resentful like cancer. Heart disease, you know, all of his illnesses. God remove everything from me. Everything. That's my brother. But how can I be useful to him if I'm caught up in self? This is not about me, it's about him. It's almost like, I remember this girl called me one time and she said, I'm at a wedding with my husband and his sister just died and I can't handle this. I guess it's too much. I'm gonna take a drink. Only alcoholics do that. Is that helpful to your husband? His sister just died. Do you know what I'm saying? It's interesting that that you know what I mean that's what you think about oh, I need a drink I can't handle. His sister just died. Why don't you try anyway? you be service to his, your husband Only alcoholics do that. We. I have to ask for everything to be removed from me, everything that stands in the way of my usefulness. What will you have me be? What will you have me do? Just be still. Relieve me of the bondage of me, man. That's what I said over there in that prayer. How do I get relieved of the bondage of me? I got to see what's keeping me in bondage. And then stand in that. I always say end up standing in higher authority. As I've told every single doctor that after cleaning house, that I end up making that decision, I don't make it with regret. That till this day, I can look at my nephews in the eye and I don't feel bad. Because I clean house. And so when I watched the machine go flat, I had a clean house. And I watched God do what God does. wasn't me being strong. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't me holding it together. It wasn't me trying to prove a point. I watched God show off and show out. Because if you left it up to me, my brother would stay in that machine for the rest of my life. I've done it with so many people. My father, same thing, give me a minute. I will say, Daddy, it took me a minute. I buried my, fr- my brother in January, unpacked his life in February. They told me Daddy had Parkinson's. He wasn't eating. He was going to die. He wasn't going to make it any longer. No, I did not do an inventory. No, I did not call my sponsor. I am daddy's little girl. And I went in front of my father, and I said, You are going to pretend that I'm Jesus and you are Nazareth. You understand me? I just buried your son. Get up. I will feed you a hamburger intravenously. <laughs> you ain't dying today, daddy. I'm sorry. It's so funny, might nephew, you want to do an inventory? No, I'm not doing nothing. Get up. I can't do it with you too, daddy. No, I cannot. Get up, start walking, let's go. And everybody's looking at me like, oh my God. <laughs> I will tell you this, my daddy got up. And he started walking and he started eating. My daddy loved me. I couldn't do it. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't always turn out right. Do you know what I mean? It's not always that end of the story that's so beautiful. In that moment, no, I was not getting rid of nothing. Or maybe I was. Or I was completely in into- I just, daddy wasn't dying today. And he got up. And he started walking and eating. That was in February and he lasted till July. As a matter of fact, July 10th is daddy's anniversary. And then he was hurting and he was struggling. And he was waiting for me to say, it's okay, daddy. And then is when I had to go, give me a minute. See what I'm saying? Because that's how selfish I am. That I'm like, work it out. You know what I'm saying? I was. I was looking at him like, in, out, in, out. People are like, yo, I don't know your relationship with your daddy, but that's the only one who loved me unconditionally. He couldn't leave me. And I was like, okay, daddy. I'm not okay, but it's going to be okay. But I had to clean house. I needed to take a minute, ask God to remove everything. The last person on earth I ever wanted to leave me was my daddy. And I watched him. And I stood there and asked God to take everything away from me, to just be completely present and available for him in that journey. And I watched my father look at me dead in my eyes as he took his last breaths. And I was like... I need to be out of self to do that. You understand what I'm saying? Other than that, I'll be like, no, you know, I don't know what I would be doing. I gotta get out of self to do that. And I watch God show off and show out. Because in each one of these occasions, not a thought occurred to me to drink. Not at all. And I knew that was my assignment, I was being of service. I did it with my best friend. That was hard. In every situation, I've been doing this for years, this heart has been asking me to stretch my spiritual muscles and get out of self. Because we're talking about some heavy-duty life-and-death situations. Not just whether I get the job or not. You know what I mean? Not that I'm minimizing that. But man, my best friend, and he didn't want to die. And he begged me to figure out how to make him live. Different from daddy, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, I can't, can't do it you got to go. And the doctor said, you must help your friend. The worst thing you ever want to hear is somebody terrified when they're dying. That was hard. Get out of self. God, give me out of self. Give me a minute. Get me out of self. And just recently with Mommy, my time's about up. Just recently with Mommy, Mommy was the hardest because my mother has always had unreasonable demands on me. The hardest thing to get out of self is to go against the very things she has always said. And all my life, I've always done what mommy wanted me to do. If not, the consequences were great. And my mother had it always written that I am to keep my mother on life support for the rest of her life until the day I die. That's a tall order, y'all. And I remember going to the social worker, going, Why am I such a mess? You know what I mean? Like, normally I've gotten through this. You know what I'm saying? I've gotten through this. What is going on? She said, Because you have the most unreasonable demand that your mother has given you. And you have a dilemma. I want to do what she wants me to do. Is she playing God? Am I playing God? Where is God in this? You know what I mean? That was the dilemma. Where is God in this? Is she playing God? Is that my assignment? Am I playing God? What is happening here? Give me a minute. (laughs) Give me a minute. That was hard, you guys. That was so hard. My whole identity is wrapped up around mommy. I've been taking care of her my whole life. And we're now here. Mommy helped me to learn, stretch my spiritual muscles. She's the one person that introduced me to all my defects of character, regardless of even if she gave me some of them. Do you know what I'm saying? I believe that was my mother's job until the day, you know what I mean, will contract it, end it. My mother would always go, you're not too spiritual. Watch this. <laughs> oh, you think you have patience? Let's see. And I'd be like, you know what, you're right, you won. I don't have it. I still got to work on that. Thank you, thank you, oh, so so thank you, Mommy, Thank you. And so here I am, and I watched my mother take her last breath. That was hard. And I bit I was beating up on myself for a while. It still gets me a little bit. You know? It's like playing God was a, it's so strange. You know, we don't always have it or know it. And more and more will be revealed and I'll get clear one day. But she's the only one that died that left, was left with guilt. Did I do it right? Was I doing God's will? She's the only one I walked away like that. And it's understandable because that's the dynamic of the relationship with my mother and it's still unsettled. But you know what I get to do? I get to clean house, trust in God, be of service, clean house, trust in God, be of service. That's where I'm at. I'm cleaning house. I don't know. I'm not sure. God, take all of me. What will You have me be? What will You have me do? Get rid of my fear. That's all I've been doing since November, when mommy took her last breath, November 10th. I do the uncomfortable until it becomes comfortable. But I'm not a bad person. I'm getting to my authentic self. These steps are tools designed for living so that I can see the child of God that I am, so that you can see the child of God that you are, so that we can be the best that we can possibly be. It's like joining the Marines. Don't they say that, be the best that you can be? Whatever. (laughs) So that's my thing. Character defects, it has saved me, it has walked me, it has helped me. There are some that I turn to, I use them, and then they're no longer useful. I give it all to this power. I don't have to work on them. I have to be willing to let go of them. I have to be willing to see them. I have to be willing to be uncomfortable about them. And there are some of them that are still useful. I can't get rid of ego altogether. That's impossible. The day I get rid of ego is the day that I'm about to go six feet under. This is about getting right sized. It's an ego-smashing process. I cannot get rid of ego. But God helps me to live this thing called life, whatever you choose to find it. So that's where I'm at. I believe this power and these steps love me. They teach me how to live this thing called life. And to discover that living just ain't so bad. And that when those are dying, the people that we love, that it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. So thank I know I'm a little emotional, but thank you for allowing me to share.